Hello everyone, my name is Simon Lovegrove, Global Director of Financial Services Knowledge at Norton Rose Fulbright, and welcome to this latest episode in our Regulation Tomorrow Plus podcast mini-series on the UK Investment Firm Prudential Regime, or UK IFPR. In this episode, members of our London Financial Services team will guide us through the own funds requirements, fixed overheads requirements, and the K factors assets under management and client orders handled. So without further ado, I'm now going to hand over to Jochen Vester, a senior associate in our London Financial Services team, who's going to take us through own fund requirements and fixed overheads requirements. Thank you very much, Sain. In this section, I'm going to speak about the own funds requirements in general before we are looking at some of the K factors in more detail. The own funds requirement of a non-SNI investment firm is the highest of its permanent minimum capital requirement, the PMR, its fixed overheads requirement, or its K-factor requirement. The own funds requirement of an SNI investment firm is the higher of its PMR or its fixed overheads requirement. So an SNI firm will not be subject to the K-factor requirement. However, such firms will still need to calculate the different items for categorization purposes. Let's look at the permanent minimum capital requirements first. The new PMR is based on the firm's activities below which its own funds must not fall. The new PMR will be the same as the ICR, the initial capital requirement, which is the amount of capital required for an applicant firm. The ICR and therefore the PMR will increase, but firms might be able to benefit from various transitional provisions. In its July policy statement, the FCA confirmed its overall approach in relation to the PMR and the ICR. Moving on to the fixed overheads requirement. D4 currently only applies to a subset of investment firms. Under the new regime, a four will now apply to all investment firms. The four is intended to calculate a minimum amount of capital that a firm would need to absorb losses if it has to exit the market or to wind down. A firm's fall will be an amount equal to one quarter of its relevant expenditure in the previous year. This will result from the accounting framework used by the FCA investment firm. The figures used will be those in its most recent audited financial statements. Where these are not available, an FCA investment firm may use unaudited financial statements. The original rules stated that a firm should calculate the relevant expenditure by calculating its total expenditure after the distribution of profits and then subtracting any permitted deductible items. Basically, this followed the EBA's approach under the EU regime. However, in its July policy statement, the FCA have amended its position so that the relevant expenditure is to be calculated before and not after any distribution of profits. Firms must also add to the total expenditure any relevant expenditure incurred on its behalf by third parties, including tied agents. In its July policy statement, the FCA provided further clarification in relation to various deductible items and introduced a new deduction for fees, brokerage and other charges paid to CCPs, trading venues and exchanges by firms dealing on their own account. However, the deduction is limited to 80% of the value of the relevant fees. In the event a firm is, for example, buying or selling a new business line or restructuring parts of its business, this might cause a material change to the firm's relevant expenditure. 
firms are expected to calculate the impact on both its fixed overheads requirements and the basic liquid asset requirement before making any change. An FCA investment firm must also consider any impact on such change as part of its ECAWA process. In its July policy statement, the FCA confirmed its original threshold amount, so there are no changes there. The FCA policy statement also clarified that following a material increase in the projected relevant expenditure for the firm, the firm must recalculate the four and the basic liquid assets requirements immediately. Permission is only needed where a material decrease occurs, but not in the event of a material increase. Moving on to the K-factor requirement. The K-factor open funds requirements are a mixture of activity and exposure-based requirements. The K-factor requirement is calculated as the sum of each of the K-factors that apply to the business of the FCA investment firm. The rules explain in detail how a firm should calculate each component of its overall K-factor requirement. If a firm is unsure whether an arrangement is within the scope of one or more components of the K-factor requirement, the FCA expects it to interpret the requirement in the light of its purpose. The FCA also expects the firm will be able to explain how it applies the K-factor requirement to an activity. In the event that an activity does not contribute towards the K-factor requirement, a firm is required to consider under the new cover process whether the activity may create potential material risk of harm. mifid will introduce several transitional provisions to help firms adjust to the new own funds requirements, so firms will need to review the transitional care provisions very carefully. The latest two policy statements now provided further clarifications and amendments in relation to various K-factors and the transitional provisions, which firms will need to consider as part of the implementation project. So this was a general overview of the own funds requirements and the fixed overheads requirements, and we are now looking at some of the K-factors in more detail. In this section, Imogen Garner, a partner in our London Financial Services team, will take a look at the K-factor assets under management. Now, in relation to the K-factor for AUM, as far as what counts for these purposes is concerned, the most complicated points, as I think we all know now, are around delegation and sub-management. So if you have a UK manager delegating out to another investment firm, then that delegated out mandate still counts towards the UK manager's KAUM figure. Where management is delegated in, though, you don't have to count them, but only if the delegated manager is a UK investment firm, CPMI firm, or a third country firm that also calculates capital requirements on a similar basis, or an insurer that's part of a financial conglomerate with a delegated manager, or indeed, the lead and sub-managers are in the same group, both included within the scope of prudential consolidation. So just to summarise, in most cases, you're going to be okay if the delegation is from the EU, but that won't be the case with some other important jurisdictions. So if you're a UK manager and you have a delegated in mandate from a US entity within your group, you can't exclude it because the US won't be calculating its own capital requirements by reference to AUM. So depending on the jurisdictions involved, it may be the case that a UK sub-manager may not actually know 
how the delegating manager calculates its capital requirements. And so it may be appropriate to look for relevant confirmations or representations in delegation agreements. What the FCA said in its July policy statement is it specifically told firms that where they're not clear on what basis the delegating manager does calculate its capital requirements, then they need to assume that it's not based on AUM, and therefore they need to include those delegated portfolios within their own AUM calculation. So if in doubt, count it. The July policy statement also provides some clarification around the whole question of chains of subdelegation. And in particular, the FCA says that the more removed the firm managing the funds um, in a chain of subdelegation is from the end client, the greater it sees the operational complexity of the arrangements and the potential for harm. So what's cl quite clear is that the regulator is keen to avoid chains of subdelegation where you've got a large amount of AUM being covered by only one firm in the chain holding capital. So as a result of all that, what it's doing is proceeding with its proposals to the effect that the exclusion from double counting AUM can be used where there is uh, only where there is one level of delegation and not where there are two or more levels. The position in relation to sub-advisors and advisory arranging firms, though, is a bit different. And the FCA's view is that it doesn't see these arrangements as involving a delegation, but rather involving the provision of two separate and distinct services. As a result, the relief from double counting that's been provided for in relation to delegated management arrangements is not available where the arrangements are structured so that the sub-appointment is advisory and not a sub-management arrangement. I think for completeness, though, when we think about this whole question of delegation and double counting for the purposes of KAUM, it's important to remember the potential for interplay between KAUM and KCOH. And the FCA has been making some quite helpful clarificatory comments around this. Specifically, their starting point is the discretionary portfolio management and ex executing or RTO are two separate things and should be addressed through KAUM for portfolio management and KCOH for order, order handling and execution. But a specific exception to this basic principle applies where a firm is providing both activities together and includes the relevant portfolio in its calculation of KAUM. In those circumstances, it doesn't then also need to include within its measurement of COH the orders generated in the course of its provision of that portfolio management. And so the examples we've just been thinking about in relation to delegation structures and where double counting of KAUM is not required, they all need to be considered as, as instances where KCOH may be. Finally, just one key point coming out of the June policy statement, um, which is that some respondents to the earlier consultation had queried the treatment of assets under ongoing advice for purposes of the AUM threshold to which the FCA has confirmed that it's concerned with the potential harm caused by particular activities. And as such, it doesn't see a meaningful distinction to be made between provision of non-discretionary arrangements that amount to investment advice of an ongoing nature versus fully discretionary mandates. So no change there. What the July paper does though is include some new clarifications in relation to when investment advice is really deemed to be investment advice of an ongoing nature. So the definition has been clarified to mean that it's either the recurring provision 
of investment advice or investment advice given in the context of continuous or periodic assessment and monitoring or review of a client financial instrument portfolio. There's going to be some detailed guidance on all of these aspects, as well as clarification that genuinely one-off or sporadic advice won't count for these purposes. In this final section, another partner in our London Financial Services team, Hannah Meakin, will provide a summary of the K-Factor client orders handled. So client orders handled, or COH, is one of the new K-Factors. It represents the value of orders that an investment firm handles for clients through the reception and transmission of client orders and the execution of orders on behalf of clients. It includes orders that are handled as part of a chain. So KCOH has an important relationship with two other K factors, being assets under management and daily trading flow. In order to calculate KCOH, there are a number of transactions which can be excluded from scope. The first of these are transactions that are caught within the extended definition of reception and transmission, in other words, those um, orders that are essentially bringing together two more, more investors and thereby bringing about a transaction between those investors. So in other words, KCOH is only intended to capture orders that are actually received and transmitted in the normal sense of that concept, not the extended sense. The second uh, type of orders that can be excluded are those that are executed by the investment firm in its own name. And this is where the investment firm is either acting for itself or on behalf of a client. And that has been confirmed by the FCA. So the reason is that this activity will instead be dealt with under the daily trading flow K factor. And the idea is that any one order should only fall within scope of client orders handled or daily trading flow. Um, it, there shouldn't be, and there shouldn't be any gap between them. So it's client orders handle if it's in the name of the client and daily trading flow if it's in the name of the firm, even if it's being done on behalf of a client. Then the third exclusion are orders that a firm handles when acting in the capacity of an operator of a multilateral trading facility or an organized trading facility. So that's relevant to the operator of those, trading, those types of trading venues but not to somebody who's participating in those trading venues. And then last but not least, orders that are not ultimately executed can also be excluded. So in other words, orders that don't actually become transactions at the end of the process. In terms of what does need to be included in this calculation, an investment firm must include any amounts for MIFID business that is carried on by tide agents that are acting on its behalf. So if you've got a tide agent that is receiving and transmitting orders, then those orders need to be included in your calculation. So in terms of the requirement for client orders handled, the calculation is different according to whether you're looking at cash trades or derivatives. So for cash trades, it is 0.1% of average client orders handled. And for derivatives, it's 0.01%. So 
so an investment firm calculates its client orders handled on the first business day of each month, but it's looking at the average client orders handled over the previous six months. Uh, so you're looking at six months worth of daily values. However, you exclude the daily values from the most recent three months. And to calculate the average client orders handled, you're looking at the total client orders handled for each business day and converting those into the firm's functional currency using the appropriate exchange rate for that day as determined in accordance with the guidance that the FCA has recently provided on that topic. In order to measure the value of orders that are going into the client orders handled calculation, uh, there are a series of uh, essentially rules that can be applied for different types of transactions. So you should be using the total of the absolute value of each buy and sell order. But for cash trades, this is the amount that's paid or received on the trade at the time it is executed, unless the investment firm has chosen to apply the alternative approach permitted by the FCA. And for cash trades that relate to exchange traded options, that is the amount that is, that is the premium that's paid for the option. For derivatives trades, other than interest rate derivatives, it's the notional amount of the contract. And for interest rate derivatives, it's the notional amount of the contract multiplied by the duration, where the duration is the time to maturity in years divided by one. And then in terms of transaction costs, these can be excluded from the value of the order to reflect the amount received or paid by the client for the actual instrument, provided that the client does not pay those costs separately to the firm, but they are actually reflected in the amount that's paid for the order itself. So the other point that's maybe just worth noting in relation to the calculation for KCOH is that there will essentially be four different components to the calculation uh, for many firms. So first of all, you've got your calculation for cash trades versus derivatives. And then for each of those, you'll be looking at the orders that are actually received and transmitted, and then the orders that are executed in the name of the client. So that's just uh, perhaps another way of thinking about how to uh, collate that, that calculation. And uh, that's really all I was going to say about client orders handled. So that concludes this podcast, which I hope you found helpful. Don't forget that on the Norton Rose Fulbright website, we have an IFPR impact product, which is designed to help clients manage each step of their UK IFPR internal implementation project. It provides a high level summary of the draft prudential source book for MIFID investment firms, as well as any consequential amendments to other FCA source books. For further information, contact your investor or your usual contact at the London Financial Services team. Thanks for listening. Take care. Goodbye.